One of the characteristics of life is that we're always waiting for something out in the future. And if um, we don't have that something out there in the future, it's like life is, doesn't have purpose for us. Kind of isn't all that we want it to be. I know when we're real little, you know, you're always waiting for something. The next birthday, the next Christmas, you're waiting to get your driver's license. And then as we age, we have less and less things that were out there that we're just so excited about. But we still always have something out there. And I'll start off today by just going around and looking at your table and talk about what you're excited about. What's, is there anything out there that you're waiting for, that you're looking forward to? So go ahead and talk about that first. Well, I hope there's all, all of you have something you're sharing that you're excited about, what's something that's in your future. I got to say that right after Tad passed away, one of the things that was so hard was that I didn't have this something that I was looking forward to. I had this period of time when I really didn't have anything that I was waiting for, and anything that I was really passionate about, anything that I was looking forward to, other than heaven. I mean, I was just excited about heaven, but I didn't have anything here on earth that I was really excited about. And it's really a scary time for me because, um, you know, I think it's normal for us to just look forward to having something in front of us. And, um, but I didn't have that. And um, one day it just hit me that... Um, maybe I should start praying about having passion in front of me. Um, Just pray to God. I want passion again, Lord. I want to feel passion. Um, I I knew I wanted to just walk with him and and do what he wanted me to do, but I'm a great proponent of that, that out of your heart shall flow rivers of living water, that verse that says that, that what the Holy Spirit is moving inside of you, then your life just flows out that way. And so I wanted my heart to be stirred. I wanted to have passion again, and I started praying about that. And it's just amazing to see how God answered that prayer. So if you're one that, that doesn't have maybe passion right now or you're not looking for anything, start praying that specific prayer. I was just amazed by that because God has given me all these um, different things all of a sudden of what um, he's, he's placed in my heart of different things that I'm excited about or he's broken my heart in other areas and wanted me to get involved in it. In fact, now it's to the point where I feel like I'm not going to accomplish anything because I'm not going to know which direction to go. So, um, but it was kind of a hard time for me and um, but now that's one of the ways that I decide how I'm going to do a lesson. I always say, okay, Lord what are you you putting in my heart that I want to know more about that maybe I could teach on? And this lesson that I'm talking about today um, was one that from the beginning of the year I wanted to talk about. I wanted to teach about because it's something that he's placed in my heart as a real desire to want to know more about. We're going to be talking about Matthew 24 and 25, and you can open up your Bibles to Matthew 24 because we're going to pretty much stay there today. And um, this is the, what they call the Olivet Discourse, which is um, it's one of the, of the big teachings that Jesus did Kind of like the Beatitudes was at the beginning of his uh, ministry, kind of laid out what he's all about. And then at the end, he did this Olivet Discourse, which he was sitting on the Mount of Olives. That's why they call it that. And he was giving out what he wanted to teach about the future, what these disciples were going to face in the future. And so it's a great teaching that he taught um, about what what to look forward to in the future. What are we going to experience in our future? Um, <clears throat> takes place in the last week of his life. 
So Jesus is going into the temple during the week, and he's, he's teaching all around, and then he goes back at night, and then he, he's up on the Mount of Olives, and then the next day he'll go back down and teach. So for this whole week, he was teaching all over the temple. <clears throat> but this one night, he, he, he gathered his disciples, and he did this, this teaching. And it all began with kind of a, an innocent question that, um, that one of the disciples said, um, and you don't see it in Matthew, but you'll see it if you look at the same story in, in Mark, verses thir- chapter 13, verse 1. And you don't have to turn to that. But he said, one of the disciples as they were leaving just said, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what, what magnificent buildings. And then Jesus answered him and he said, Do you see all these things, he asked? Jesus said, I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And you find that in Matthew 24, verse 2. And this is just an incredible statement. Because they were looking at this massive um, temple that that Herod had built. And I'm going to read what I found in one of the commentaries. It said here... At the time of Jesus' ministry, the temple was one of the most impressive structures in the world, made of massive blocks of stone bedecked with gold ornamentation. Some of the stones in the temple complex measured 40 feet by 12 feet by 12 feet and were expertly quarried to fit perfectly against one another. The temple buildings were made of gleaming white marble. Can you just imagine this? And the whole eastern wall of the large main structure was covered with gold plates that reflected the morning sun. So it was facing east, so as the sun rise, this gold plate would reflect it. It was making a spectacle that was visible for miles. The whole temple complex was magnificent by any standard. So this, this, this question the disciples had stirred up, and all of a sudden, Jesus said that every stone was going to be thrown down. I mean, they just thought, that's absurd. How can that possibly happen? But in a a short 40 years later, after Jesus said this, that's exactly what happened. That temple was just decimated. It was completely destroyed. The Romans came in and chased the Jews out. And I I guess what... what, um, um, they were. They said that they even put scaffolding up against the walls. The heat got, and then they left the burned the scaffolding, and it got so intense. The fire was so intense that the stones were crumbled, and that gold that was inlaid then ran down in between the stones. And so when they came in, and, and all the Jews had been, um, um, they as they went away, they took the stones and they pried them apart so they could get all the gold out. And so that's why every one of those stones were, were torn apart, exactly as Jesus had said. Um, I just think that's just amazing. And, and as they've been excavating in 1968, they found a lot of these stones that, that they were taught that used to be part of the temple. And that brings up a first point that I wanted to make, and that is, as certain as the first ful- fulfillment of the destruction of Jerusalem happened, so will God fulfill, at your fill-in-blank, every part of this amazing message of the future. And, and a lot of times, and I talked about this before in prophecy, he will make a, a short-term prophecy, and then there'll be a long-term prophecy. The short-term prophecy is that, this, that the temple would be destroyed. That happened. It's as sure as that that happened, that what Jesus says in the future will happen. Someday these things will all come to pass. Um, so later that day, after Jesus had made this amazing statement, the disciples, they had gathered together and they walked down the Kidron Valley and, um, and then back up to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus um, 
was meeting with them that evening. And this Mount of Olives, I don't know, when we were there in Israel, some of us were there um, together last year. It's just an amazing place. It's my favorite place when we were um, there because um, it's... You, it's the, 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 there's the temple, and then there's this huge valley, the Kidron Valley. It's not like, a, a, I mean, it, you can see across it. It's, it's not like a goal. Um, a, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know how to describe it. I'm sorry. I'm worthless here. But, um, but it's, what's amazing is that you're sitting up on the Mount of Olives. There's this valley below, and then you can see the temple across. You can still see the, the, the wall of the temple today. Um, not the actual temple, but the walls around that surrounded the temple, and um, so it's a, it was a beautiful sight, and you can just imagine Jesus sitting up there. He's gathering his disciples around him. Last week of his life, he knows what's going to happen, and so it's a very intimate time for him. And so the his disciples came to him, and they asked him this question in verse twenty four, uh, chapter twenty four, verse three. Um, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately that night. And they said, tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? I think that's an important question for not only them. They, they were thinking about, okay, Jesus, when is your, when is your political kingship going to happen here on earth? You know, they're waiting for a revolution and that Jesus can be their king. So they're asking kind of in a different context. But for us today, we have the same question. Jesus, when is this going to happen? What are some of the signs that we know that this is going to take place? And I think that's important because today you hear so much of that talk around that the end is coming, that we're heading towards the end, we're heading to destruction. And I think that's on all of our minds when we see the evil that's all around us. Um, It's just a a question that just comes to mind. And so I think it's a very timely thing to ask the same thing today. But we need to remember what Jesus' words were, and we'll see that later in this teaching. But he says, no one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, not even the Son, only the Father knows. And you find that in Matthew 24, verse 36. So no one knows when this is going to take place. So don't be fearful about it coming. Just um, the question that we should be asking, that what are we as kingdom citizens supposed to do before that happens? You look out there in the future, some of those things, and it seems very fearful, and it seems very scary, but what are we? In our time right now, how are we supposed to live? And that's the question I want to talk about today. How are we supposed to live in this time? We live in this age which is called the church age. That's the time when Jesus was was incarnate, when he, he came into this earth at his birth, in incarnation, all the way to well, his, till his return. So we live in this time, the same age that the early disciples lived in. Um, and, uh, and so we're, we're to see, how do we live in this church age that we live in? How do we live in this time? Um, we're going to start um, to ask that question by um, doing a little Bible study around your tables. I've got four verses there, and I want someone in, in to read one of those four verses. One, you know, to pick four different people, read a verse, and then I want you to ask yourself um, what we are to do. The answer, just what, from those four verses, what are we to do? Um, the first answer is one word, maybe you might come up with two, and the second one is a phrase. But see if you can discover what, what the Word of God says that we are to do in this time that we live in. So go ahead and talk about that around your table. The verses are 24-4, 24-4, 24-4, 24-4, 24-4, 24-4, 24-4, 24-4, 24-4, 24-4, 24-4, 24-4, 24-4, 24-4, 24-4, 24-4, 24-4, 24-4,
24.5, Matthew 24.11, and 24.24. So just have to sign one verse to, to four different people. How are you doing? Did anybody come up with that first word, two words? Watch. Very good. First word is watch, or watch out. <clears throat> How about that uh, second phrase? What, what is the other thing that Jesus says we are to do? Anybody? Yeah, I heard it. What? Do not be deceived. Some of the versions, what are some of the other versions that it said there? Any other versions besides deception? Do not be deceived. If any other versions? <clears throat> alarmed. Do not be alarmed. Okay. That's a little bit different take on it. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, those two, those words. Watch out and do not be deceived. Do not be fooled. Is what he's saying. He's gathering his disciples that are around. He said, this is what's going to happen. Don't, don't be deceived. Do not uh, be deceived, but also watch out. And so those are the warnings he's giving us today, too. The exact same thing. As we read through uh, verses 4 through 14, um, we're going to see a lot of the things that's going to take place in the church age, that, that age that we live in. And he's saying, these are ways that we can be led astray. These are ways that can test our faith. These are ways that, that um, it maybe can get you off track. So don't be fooled by these things. Remember what the gospel message is. Don't be fooled. And so we're going to look at those today um, more specifically here. Those are the first, the first things he said. These are the things don't be deceived about. Don't be fooled about. And we'll see that as, um, as the church age is coming to an end, these things will happen more and more often. But at the beginning, Jesus was just sitting around with his disciples and said, this is going to happen. Don't be fooled. Don't be led astray. First thing he says is in verse 4. He says, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming that I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So what's he saying there is, many will, will say that they're the Christ, but they'll try to lead you astray. Remember what I taught you. Do not be led astray. There will be a lot of counterfeit Christ. And we've seen that over the time in our age, especially with, with, with Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses or all these other cults that kind of, they, they kind of have a little bit of the, of the faith, but they lead people astray, and, and, and it's not the, the true gospel that Jesus came and taught. So we see that... <clears throat> Those are more obvious. But I think there's some other areas that we can be led astray that are less obvious. Those things that are more deceiving and more subtle. When people say they, they, have, the, they have the answers. And I think in our day today, a lot of that is like the scientific age. Where, you know, scientists have all the answers. And um, um, they can lead us astray. We, we won't have our faith just in Jesus Christ alone. We have our faith in, in all these other things. Um, our politicians, our social work. And these are good things, but we think that these are the things that we need to devote our time to that, that get us away from what Jesus was teaching us. Um, they, they're also... Um, <coughs> excuse me. But we have to remember that Jesus is the way. And all these other good things are great, but they're not our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. And so just... Keep in, keep in mind that, that there will be a lot of things that have um, that are out there saying this is the way to go, but we just need to remember that Jesus is, our, is the way. It says in verse 6, it says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see too that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And 
up front when Jesus said that, obviously, we constantly have wars, we constantly have conflict. And a lot of times this can lead us away because we, um, we think that, um, where is God in all of this? War can be horrific. And um, we say, well, where is God when, when all this terrible stuff is happening? <clears throat> but Jesus says, don't be deceived. That's what's going to happen. Um, but you just hold strong onto me. I will. I am the way. He also says in seven B that there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginning of birth pangs. <clears throat> these natural disasters have gone on from since the beginning of for, for the last two thousand years, um, and and a lot of times we say um, we, we look at and we say look at a beautiful sunset that oh. Only God can create this beautiful thing. And if we say that, on the same time we can say, well, then why does God allow this awful thing to happen, this natural disaster? Um, we can't say the one without the other. God is in control of it all. And sometimes we, we wonder when we have these terrible things happen, where is God in all of that? It can be a question that can lead us astray. And Jesus is saying, there will be natural disasters. It will happen, but I'm in control. Hold fast to me. I am in control of these things. Um, but it, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a way that we can be deceived, that we can let astray. Why God allow this? Verse 9, then it says, um, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Um, and we've seen that so much today. Um, but persecution started with Stephen when he was stoned, very right after Jesus' death. Um, but it continues today when we see those those twenty one Coptic Christians that were, were were beheaded just recently. It just seems like it's just um, it's just snowballing to where you see the persecutions are getting worse and worse. In fact, they say the century that we live in, the time that we live in now, is the worst for persecutions than it's ever been. Um, we see this this snowball that the things are just happening on a, on a faster clip, and it makes us wonder what's going on, what is happening with that. Jesus said there will be persecution. If you follow me, you will. There will be persecution. That's a scary thing to think about. But he says, fear not, because don't be deceived. Don't be. Don't fall away from your faith. I think it's a great. Um, as here, or, uh, uh, being that the, if you're the fear of being persecuted is going to keep you from walking in the faith, or keep some from walking. And that'd be a scary thing if we thought, okay, they were going to come in and behead us here in the United States. How many of us would be strong in our faith? Um, but Jesus says that's going to happen. We've got to realize that, <clears throat> that there is going to be persecution for your faith. Um, but hold strong. That's going to happen. Hold strong. Um, and then it says in verse 10, at that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. This is the idea of apostasy. That at the end there will be many that will fall away from the faith. They will, um, uh, and you see that even in our country today, you just see where we used to be a nation that was so based in our Christian, um, Judeo-Christian ethics and morals. And you just see it falling by the wayside. And so you've got this double whammy of being persecuted and then also nobody standing by your side to hold strong with you. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, your faith is going to be more wobbly if you have that kind of a situation. Just the fact that, that you don't have those around you, around you. But Jesus said, this will happen. As things go on, there will be the falling away from the faith. <clears throat> um, 
And um, so you've got this double whammy of not only persecution, but you don't have as many strong brothers and sisters around you. Um, and we see that around in our, in our life, in our time right now, especially. Um, and then it goes on in verse 11. It says that many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold. So he's talking about the false prophets. These prophets is the same word for prophet that Christ used when he was on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Sermon on the Mount, he said in, in Matthew seven verses fifteen to sixteen, he says, "Watch out, for false prophets! They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them." <clears throat> So it's this idea, um, this, these false prophets, it's the idea of cynicism, that selfishness, that idea that, that we are only motivated by, motivated by self-interest. Um, and you see those false prophets all around us today, that we're supposed to be into our, our own, um, what's good for, your, for yourself, what are, um, what are your rights as, as a person. And then these gets away from what, what Christ wanted for us. The true prophet insists on the rights of God, but the false prophet uphold the rights of man. So we and, and we see that all the time. What, what are human rights? What are the rights of man? But um, the true prophet is one that says that, that what God says is His rights, um, and we see that so much of that. Um, it also says there because of the increase of wickedness. Don't we see that all around us? That evil that keeps. Rising up. And then it says the love of most will grow cold. Um, I saw it the other day on, on a YouTube video that came across. And it was, it was um, uh, a story of a 15-year-old that um, was standing out in New York City. And he had only a t-shirt on and it was 5 degrees. And the wind was whipping and he was holding a plastic sack that he would crawl into every once in a while. And... Um, he had, was holding out a cup. He had no shoes on. And you could tell he was just a kid. He was a 15-year-old. And, and he stood outside for over two hours in this cold. And then he crawled into this. Uh, and, and you saw this video only last maybe a couple minutes on YouTube or five minutes, something like that. But you could hardly watch it because this kid was so cold with the wind whipping. <clears throat> Finally, this, uh, you'd see person after person walk by and, and not do a thing. <clears throat> and then finally... This homeless man is the guy, as this little 15-year-old was huddled in a plastic sack. Just che- te- che- his teeth were chattering, and he was so cold. And then this homeless man came up to him, and he took his coat off, and he put it around him. He said, you need this more than I do. And it turned out that this, this was a setup. It wasn't a truth. It, it was just trying. It was just a test to see if people were would, would do something for this guy that was out in the cold. And, and you just watch it, and you think, how could all these people walk by? this kid that was standing out in the cold. Um, and I think we've almost gotten that way, that we're, the love of most have gone, when I read that, that's the first thing that came, where love grows cold. We don't have our, the love that we used to have for our brothers and sisters. We just see that more and more. I also went to that movie last week called um, Dropbox that they had. Uh, anybody else see that? They <coughs> go to see that. Um, it was a story of how in South Korea there's this pastor that that put a uh, a drop box in his um, in the in the wall. It's kind of like a, a goodwill box. The drop box was for babies, and uh, that was heated because these mothers uh, were, were leaving their babies to die in the streets, and they would die 
thin hours of the cold, and how he built this drop box for these babies to be placed in, um, to keep them warm, and um, his ministry. But it was just, I mean, some of these babies came with their umbilical cords still attached. Just heart-wrenching. Just seems like, how could we live in a society where we have so little love for our brothers and sisters, that we're giving away our babies and setting them on the, uh, on the streets to die? Um, <clears throat> but you see that in our era, where we just, our, our time where, we, where love is just, it's not as prolific as it, as it should be. <coughs> and then it says in verse 13, But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. It says, the power to stand. How in the world, with all these things that we hear that we can be, that can test our faith on different levels, how are we going to be able to stand? Um, it's talking there not of the end of the age, but the end of your life. How can you, as an individual, have the power to stand? <clears throat> And it's only through God's supernatural power. I love what Sean is talking about um, in, on Sundays when he's talking about take us ordinary people, we make a super, um, super ordinary, what's his word for it, but um, supernatural, I guess, from the ordinary to the supernatural. It's with, with Christ in us, we have the power to stand. Um, and it... It's that idea that we're going to see some examples at the end of how, how we are going to do that. We're not going to leave here discouraged that, we're, that all this stuff can happen, but how can we be stand, stand strong? Um, it, what it's saying there, really, if you are truly saved, that, who, that the person that endures to the end, and the fact that he does endure, makes it obvious that he was, that he was saved. So it's kind of a, a twist on that. Or if the fact that, that you are saved, God is going to give you the strength to, to, to help you to be there and be able to withstand. It's, those, it's the strength that those Coptic Christians had when they were standing there, they were kneeling, and I don't know if you read the reports, but as they were beheading him, they had the name of Jesus on their lips. It's, we, God is, gives us the power to stand. He gives us that Holy Spirit in us if, if we have if called out to him and we are his um, his people, if we are truly saved. I love the verse, I think I put it in your notes, John 10, verses 28. <clears throat> it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Even when this opposition mounts, he says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jesus is there. He's going to protect us. He's going to be there for us in these times of trouble. We're not only going to be able to be saved, but we're going to speak out. And it says there, um, in the, the verse there, 24, verse 14, it says, When the gospel is preached throughout the world, Jesus says, This is the sign that the end is near. So finally, they ask the question, What is the sign when the end comes near? Jesus answers it here in verse 14. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come, he says. I think it's really um, interesting to know that we are the first generation where Bibles will be translated into every language. They're not quite there yet, but um, our generation, there's going to be a translated Bible in every people group. Throughout the world, to every nation, will have the opportunity to have a gospel, uh, have the gospel. 
And we also live just in unprecedented times. When you think of texting and emails and all these instant messages that come about right now, this instant information just makes you wonder. And Jesus says that um, this is the sign when the whole world, when the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This time when you can get on the radio and some in these remote villages, there's Christian um, teaching that's going out to these the far corners of the world for the first time. It's just an unprecedented time that we live in. Jesus says, watch and do not be deceived. Um, oh, excuse me. Jesus then goes on, and um, so he tells us all these things that are going to take place and, um, in, for, the, for, the, for the disciples and then also for us. They didn't realize, obviously, those disciples, that this was going to take 2,000 years or more. We don't know today. Um, but then he goes on, and, and he starts talking about other prophecies. Not to go in, I'm not going to, to go into the actual prophecies because there's so many different ways people are looking at these different things. Um, and I wouldn't even I'd begin to attempt to try to put any of that into perspective. If you want to learn that, you, you need to study that on your own because it's crazy um, for me to even think that I could teach on that. Um, my intent today is to talk only about what we can do to be ready, how we can stand strong. But he goes on and he tells some of these things that are happening. And I'm just going to read through a little bit of this. Um, give you a taste of what Jesus was saying to us today and to his disciples back then. Um, we're starting verse 15. It says, So when you are standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountain, let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to big, get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, and unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days have not been cut short, no one would survive, but the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. He's talking about a terrible time of tribulation. And some, some, some uh, Bible scholars say that that was when, when, when um, uh, Jerusalem fell, that it happened, and it's gone, and it's in our past. Others say that's going to be something in the future. We know there's going to be a time of tribulation. The Bible teaches about that in Revelations. Paul teaches about that also. Or it could be both. We, it can be sometimes it says you have a, a, something that happens right away, something that happens in the future. We just don't know right now. There's different, different views on what that is. But today we're just going to look at how can we watch and not be deceived. But see, what else are we supposed to watch for? I want you to go to verses 20. I'm going to read well, this on here a little bit. And it says, at that time, this is verse 23, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect. There's that idea of deception again, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner room, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
And it goes on, it says, wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. We need to gather in your group again and write down these other two verses. Um, we're going to look at um, verse 27, and I want you to ask yourself, um, what do you think Jesus wanted us to know about his return? Um, he's speaking specifically about his return there. He's using the word coming there, which is that parousia, which means his presence when he comes back again. And whenever they use that term um, in Greek, the Greek word for coming, um, it means his second coming. And so in verse 27 it says, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus is coming back again. And I want you to take that verse and um, see what you think he's saying there when he said that. I want you to look at two other verses, too, that you can look up. Um, look at, and write this down because I didn't put it there, verse, verse 30, 24, verse 30. And then also someone can turn to Revelations 1, 7. What do you think Jesus is saying to us in these verses? Go ahead and talk about that. Okay, so what did you guys come up with? What do, what do you think? What do you think Jesus is saying to us in these verses about his second coming? Anybody have a thought? Hey, brave person out there, what do you think? What do you think Jesus? There'll be no question. Exactly. When Jesus returns, we're not going to miss it. You don't have to go searching off in the, in the, to say, where, where is Jesus? He says, it, 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 it will not be missed. It, it will be so obvious to all. Um, when Jesus, <clears throat> last time we saw Jesus in the Bible was when he was um, on a bloody cross. And they saw him in, um, in, in, in shame and no power. He res- resurrected and was viewed by some, but the, to, to the world, he was this, resur- this uh, crucified Christ. But when he, re- when he reappears, um, he will reappear in power and great glory. It will be such an extreme difference between the last time that the world saw him. Um, and it will mark the close of the age and the opening of a whole new time. Um, um, and that whole new time will be the idea where Jesus will be with us. He will be in the presence of us, where God now dwells with his people. Um, it says in uh, Revelations 21.3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So it will be this time. When Jesus, it'll begin the time when now Jesus will be with us in his presence. Um, That verse 28, it says, for the gathering of the vultures over a dead carcass. That's another way of saying it'll be so obvious to everyone. Um, Because just like vultures circle around a dead carcass, it will be obvious that we will see um, Jesus' return. I think it was really, it was so crazy because I was studying this, and in some versions that word vultures is also the word eagles. And I was driving home in the country the other day, and literally there were three bald eagles that were circling around, 
And I looked, and right below them was a deer that was dead in the in the in the field, right as I was driving by. And I thought that was that was so amazing that as I was studying this, that it was actually happening. I've never seen that before. And here it was, actually happening right in front of me. It was obvious to me that something was going on by the activity in the sky. Same thing is true in that verse there when he says um, that um, um, the the. And, the, I don't. Sorry, I'm losing it here today. Um, but anyways, the same the same thing will happen. It'll, it will be very obvious when Jesus returns. But the actual time, no one knows. In verse 36, it says there, verse 24 or chapter 24, verse 36. No one knows about the day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. So even though it'll be obvious, no one knows when that time will come. It also goes on in verse 42, so it says, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Okay, I just want to pause here for a minute. As we're talking about this, I want to do what I call a heart meter check. Um, and what that is, is that I, I put this little meter, and I want you to just talk about it around your table. How do you feel about a subject like this? Um, when, like, number one is, I don't want to talk about this, I don't want to know about this. And I, I, I have no interest in this at all. Or number ten is this. This is really interesting to me. I'm fascinated by fascinated by this, and I want to know more about it. Just talk on your table a little bit. When you hear about stuff like this, that what do you? How do you feel? Um, and just talk about that around your table a little bit. So how did you guys rate? How did you rate yourself? How many are uh, on this side? Am I just really feel uncomfortable talking about this? with some fear involved over here. How many up over here? Anybody on this side? You're not going to answer. <laughs> well, if I had to guess, really, I would say you were kind of all over the place, really. I mean, sometimes we'll be, it'll be exciting to us. We'll, we'll think, oh, that's interesting. 
but it also brings up some fear and anxiety in our heart, in us, doesn't it? Because we, we just don't know what the future is going to hold, and it has to it bring up some anxiety. So I think it's kind of like, the, it's one of those subjects where you kind of go from one extreme to the other. For me, it does bring up some anxiety, but it also makes me want to know more. And it makes me want to ask the question, which I think is so important, how do I want to live my life? If this is true, and Jesus says it's going to happen, how, am I, how do I want to live my life? I just can't bury my head in the sand and say, oh, you know, I'm just going to go on my own merry way. I, I want it to change me. I want it to make me more what Jesus wanted me to be. And so I think to ask these questions are good. Um, I want to be one that can stand strong. I want to be one of those that can stand when, th- when trials come. I don't know if I will, but I, I want to be one of those. Um, so, um, and Jesus goes on. We're gonna, this is... He goes on um, and tells us what we need to do. He gives us some really practical things. I'm going to read uh, Matthew 24, verses 42. So we're going to Matthew, uh, verse 42, and it says here, um, says Jesus says, these are all Jesus' words that we're talking about today. They're so precious words. It says, therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. So I think Jesus is telling us there, be ready. He's saying, you don't know when he's going to come, and that's why you should always be ready. If we knew exactly when it was, we wouldn't want to be ready. Or we would we we, we could, could say oh I can do that later but we don't know and he's saying we've got to be ready so I want to ask you another question you can just talk around your table a little bit how can we be ready what do you think he meant just in real practical terms what how can we be ready for Jesus's return talk that about that around your table so, I hope you came up with some real practical ways you could be ready. Jesus gives, is a practical guy, and he kind of gave some parables <coughs> of how to be ready. And uh, we're going to only talk about one of them here. But they started in um, Matthew 24. He, has, he gives 40, 45 through 51 is the parable of the faithful and wise servant. He talks about a master going away and leaving uh, his servant and that we need to be ready. And then he talked about um, the parable of the ten virgins and how, to, how for them to be ready, what it meant for them. But we're going to spend our time talking about um, the parable of the talents for the rest of the day. Um, um, he tells them how they are to live until his coming. It again speaks of a master who goes away and leaves his servant to a certain task until he returns. And let's look at that in verses uh, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 18. This is what he says. Just Jesus speaking here. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To the one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went out at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, 
He dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. There's some things I want to take away here that I just want to bring up. First of all, when Jesus is talking about talents here, he's not talking about what we think of as talents. That word talent comes, in the English, comes from this um, this parable, but he's not talking about our earthly talents. He's talking here. A talent to the disciples back then was a certain amount or weight of silver. So it's he's he's um, he's giving them um, a, this this valuable silver amount of silver. Um, so the question that we need to ask ourselves: Well, what is this talent today that Jesus is going to give, or the Master is going to give when he goes away on this journey? Um, so that that's the question we need to look at. First of all, you look at verse fourteen. And he says they are his property. So what he's giving it is something that's 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 the Lord's. It's not our talents. Um, something that only the master can give. And then in verse fourteen, he says they are not natural abilities, but are distributed by the master according to our natural abilities. So, um, so it's not it's not saying the master is going to give you these talents, these natural abilities. But he is going to give you this, these, this, this precious thing according to what your natural abilities are. Um, hopefully this will become clearer as I, as I keep going on. But he's also, if you read on in verses 19 through 23, um, let's go there. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought brought the other five. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. <clears throat> so, what we learn from that is there's a couple things that are implied by this, this whole thing that goes on. One, it's, it's expected that the servants are supposed to invest these towns in such a way that they would be gained. It's just kind of an assumption here that we're looking at. You're supposed to do something with this that, I, that, the, that the master gives you. We're supposed to invest it so that we get gain out of it. <clears throat> it's also implied that the gain or the profit or whatever the master gives us is, is for the master to receive. Um, uh, that the servant goes out and takes all the risk, but the master receives all the reward. These are just implied things. <clears throat> These talents that um, that um, that he's speaking about is that the master is going to give us opportunities, and there's a fill in here. These talents are going, are, the, are golden opportunities for us to use our gifts for our master. So what he's saying here is that. Um, <clears throat> That according to our abilities, that God is going to give us opportunities to, to be used for His glory, for His kingdom. Um, and only God can give us these things. Um, he places all around us these opportunities um, 
to take our natural abilities, our gifts, and use it for his gain and his glory. Um, and once I understood that, it just made so much more sense to me. When you look at someone like um, a Patty Brake, she has lots of gifts, but every opportunity that God has placed in front of her, she jumps on it. She takes it. She runs with it. She could have taken those gifts and used them in so many other ways, but God has given her um, all um, these, these opportunities to be used for his kingdom, and that's what he wants for us to do too. He wants us to take things, anything that's in front of us as an opportunity to be for him, his glory, to use it, um, to invest in um, the kingdom. <clears throat> I love this quote that uh, I've got it in your notes that John Wesley says. It says, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Um, God gives each one of us different opportunities. And some of us he'll give more, and some of us he will give less. And we don't need to look around and say, okay, um, I'm not a Patty Bray, so I'm of no value to him. Because if you look at the reward for both of the servants who had five and the one who got only two, the reward is exactly the same. Um, It's word for word the same. It's 100% payout back for both of them. Um, This is what Jesus says to the five talent person that got five talents more. He had more opportunities to be invested for the Lord. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. To the servant who had only two, he says exactly the same thing. Word for word, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. It's the exact same reward for both. And I just love that. But if you notice there, it says here, um, you've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. This is just a speculative thing. But um, I want you to talk around your, um, your table. What do you think he's saying there? I will put you in charge of many things. Um, what, do you think that, what do you think he's saying there? Talk around your tables about that. I'm really making you think here today. About what this could possibly mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I really, I don't, I don't know that it's it's real clear here. Does it mean that we'll be given more opportunities to do even more? Is it that? Is it just saying that? Because I was thinking about that. I'm wondering if the more we step out, what if it's on the spiritual realm? He'll give us more of a, a, a spiritual um, gain, um, spiritual gifts that we get to use. The more we step out in faith, the more we take advantage of these opportunities that the Lord has given us. Is there going to be a whole other level of, of things that we're going to see, of healings that we didn't think we could possibly um, do before, where we take our natural abilities and go way above and beyond? He's, as, we, as we keep being obedient, keep stepping out, um, is he then going to give us actual spiritual gifts, an actual insight into the Holy Spirit? The more that we that we step out in faith, um, the more we risk, um, the more that we will see God moving in amazing ways in our life. I think of the, the series that Sean's doing again, um, going from the ordinary to the extraordinary. I just think of, with, with, as we keep stepping out, how can we become extraordinary and... and um, <clears throat> 
I, I think of the, um, the person that, that walks into maybe a, 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 um, a prison and she sees a lot of broken. She's taking a lot of risk, but she's going to maybe see some amazing spiritual healing in those people. The, the mom or the grandmother that takes um, her grandkids to, to church on Sundays, she's maybe going to see on a spiritual level that they'll be changed amazingly way because she's being obedient and stepping out. Um, but like an investment of a lot of money, this parable talks about that there's a risk. But I want to know, is there really a risk? Do we think that God is going to let us down? Is it really a risk to step out in faith and do what God is calling us to do? Some of just don't feel that he's going to let us down. He's going to be there for us every step of the way. In fact, the parable says it. Because every time they stepped out, every time they did, did something, they received back just as much as they stepped out. Um, the risk actually comes when you don't step out. And you don't live generously. Let's look at this third servant in verses 24 through 30. Verse 24 says, Then the man who had received the one talent came, and he said, Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the garden, in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you, his master replied. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that harvest way of not sown and gather way of not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, <clears throat> at first it seems like the master was sort of hard on his servant because um, he at least buried it in the ground for safekeeping. But the, clar- the clarity comes when we see in verse 29 where it says, Everyone who has will be given more, and he will have and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Life is about change, it's about growth, it's about increase. It's not about playing it safe. Um, Jesus is saying there that the, the net the, that we just can't play life safely. It's also obvious there that the servant um, does not know the master. It's obvious there because he says he is a hard man. If he knew the master, he knew he wasn't a hard man. He says he harvests where he has not sown. If he had really known the, the, the master, he would know that's not true. And gather where he has not scattered seeds. So it's obvious that this man was not saved, as you would say. This man was not a believer. Um, he didn't take that one step to even trust his life in Jesus Christ. He hadn't even taken that first step. His one talent was to just um, risk it all on following, being a follower of Jesus Christ. And so in the end, it says, throw that worthless servant, that's Jesus' words, into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we know he wasn't even a believer. Um, so the risk is not even taking the step to be a follower of Jesus in, from the very beginning. Um, I guess I, 
I um, I look at uh, at um, today's lesson and um, I think one of the takeaway things that that we need to know about Jesus, what He's saying to us today, um, and I've got them on your note there. They're the things to, for us to be doing as we're waiting for His coming. We are to watch. We are to not be deceived. We are to be ready. We are to step out. We are to risk. We are to live dangerous because Jesus is returning. And we do this, we watch not by looking up into the sky about for Jesus' return, but enjoying the presence that he has right now with us and experiencing his power in our life in the form of the Holy Spirit. He's coming, yet he is with us now. If we're a believer in Jesus Christ, he is with us right now, will give us the power to stand. We're here to make the most of our time here on earth now. I just wanted to close, but I wanted to, um, because this is the last lesson that we're going to do on the kingdom of God, <clears throat> I just wanted to close by reading these verses that I have in your notes here about this kingdom that's coming. Um, it says from, in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 34, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. The other verse I wanted to read from you is in Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14. And it says, In my vision at night I looked, and this is Daniel prophesizing way ahead, even Christ coming to the earth. And he says, And there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. He says further on in that same um, chapter, But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Uh, This is an amazing prophecy that will come true. Jesus' kingdom will come. And uh, we can all, as the saints, be part of that. Something to look forward to in, in I, I know today's lesson's been a hard one. It's been hard for me to give it, especially feeling like I do today. But I think it's an important lesson to just keep thinking about what it is, what Jesus is saying to us in this time when we live, and how we're supposed to make the most of the time that we have before us. Um, because he is returning. And there will be an amazing kingdom that we all get to be a part of. And we just need to hold strong. Do not be deceived. Be ready. The King is coming. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for these women um, who have come um, week after week to hear more about your kingdom. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that as we enter in this time um, where sometimes life seems out of control, that all we need to do is just keep our lives focused on you and the truths that you continue to pour out in your word. 
I don't want people to leave today being fearful or worried. But I do want us all to just to keep our eyes focused on you, Father. To keep us um, keep learning more about you, remaining in you, as it says in chapter 15 of John, where we just stay close to you as you are on our side and by our side. I pray, Lord, you protect us and watch over us. And uh, we look forward to that amazing time where your kingdom is going to come to this earth and you will be seen as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's in your holy name, your righteous name that we pray. Amen.